0: Hello, everybody, and welcome yet to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Cole, myself, and Dr. Fit started this podcast. But you are now tuned into a special section of our podcast called our OITE Review Series, and we are going over some sports featuring myself and Dr. Wolwan. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the episode of the day. And again, please go and follow us on social media at Nailed It Ortho. That's going to be Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And tell one friend. All right. Our episode today is sponsored by Panacea Financial, a digital bank built for doctors by doctors. From medical student to attending, Panacea offers free checking and loan options just for physicians, including their PRN personal loan that gives you up to $75,000 at an interest rate less than half of a credit card. Panacea Financial can also refinance your medical school debt with no maximums or help with commercial needs such as practice or surgery center buy-ins visit panacea today to learn how you can join the physicians nationwide who expect more from their bank panacea financial is a division of primus member fdic and if you go to their website put nailed it ortho in the link where it says how did you hear about us
1: you are now listening to
0: nailed it the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors jay fitz and wendell cole and uh move on to i guess kind of the hip and the pelvis section uh of the sports if you if you uh if you so please uh spencer or unless there's anything else you want to add no
1: i i'm i'm all good for uh moving along
0: all right let's do it so uh let's talk about hip so um or or you know thigh things so what is the acute treatment for a quadriceps contusion or you know otherwise known as a dead dead leg like you know you're uh you know you're you're on the sideline covering a game and somebody takes a knee straight to the quads and having problems, you know, getting up and standing and, and and you, you know, you see them, they have a, you know, large ecchymosis and you see they have a quadriceps contusion. How do you treat this?
1: Um, So this was something that I uh, honestly just recently learned within the last year or so, um, because uh, I mean, I, I would assumed it would be treated like any other contusion, like kind of ice, compress, elevate, rest, all of that uh, just general stuff, but it's the immobilization in 120 degrees of, uh, flexion that was, uh, new to me. And I mean, I guess it makes sense. You don't, if you immobilize them in flexion, then you're kind of preventing a, uh, uh, over contraction of the muscle as the uh, scar tissue begins to form, so so you're keeping them, I guess, as limber as possible, and also uh, immobilizing them in 120 degrees of flexion can uh, kind of create a lot of muscle tension uh, and decrease the amount of hemorrhage and uh, late myositis ossificans that happens within the muscle. But those are the two common. Uh, Kind of sequelae from a uh, hard hit uh, quadriceps contusion is that hemorrhage and the late myositis ossificans that occurs uh, months down the road. Um, But on the opposite side of the uh, thigh here, uh, what's the treatment for a hamstring uh, strain uh, in a running athlete?
0: Oh yeah, Um, I remember. uh, You know these hamstring hamstring strains. And, uh, you know, typically, you know, these are, are commonly occur at the tendonous junction uh, during sprinting. And the treatment for these is gonna be supportive. You know, it's gonna be stretching and, uh, and strengthening, uh, you know, that you may kind of re- have recovery in a couple of weeks. And I know because I've, I've strained mine at least twice. Uh, I remember, uh, I think the first time it was, I was a rotating student and me and one of the other rotators like went to the gym uh, after, you know, after a shift. And uh, I don't think I did like dead legs, not dead legs, um, uh, lifts, uh, deadlifts. That's what it is. I hadn't done deadlifts in like two years, yeah. and uh, and I, I so called uh, thought it was a great idea to just to to go ahead and do some heavy deadlifts.
1: <laughs> yeah, do the, do the weight that you did before. Even exactly, that that's what I do, and it's
0: I was like, stupid. yeah. You know, I was like, you know, I, I did this before. I mean, it's been a couple of years, but I'm I'm still strong, same guy. And uh ended up uh, <laughs> pulling my hamstring, in. and then I think the other other time was uh, I, don't know, I was working out for something, and and we decided I was like, oh, we'll, we'll do some sprints. And I was like, you know, I haven't done sprints since high school when I was in track. But I was like, ah, it'll be nothing.
1: <laughs> I was like, I'll warm up,
0: and I'll be fine. And <laughs> I was sprinting, and uh, it was me and uh. One of my friends and uh, <laughs> I think we were actually racing and, uh, and and she was like it was me and her, it was me and, and I guess her. She we were we were both racing and like midway during the during the sprint, my quad just not quads, my uh, hamstring just tore on me. And I was like, dang, oh. man, like I'm not even like above 30 yet. <laughs> but anyways,
1: it uh, definitely catches up to you.
0: Anyway, so the treatment of that is going to be uh, all supportive um you know stretching strengthening um so what's a common mechanism um for proximal hamstring avulsions and i know they talk about this in like you know water skiers and stuff but what is a what's a a a mechanism for a proximal hamstring avulsion
1: yeah i well it's going to be um similar to really any other um, muscle and when they are going to avulse off of their insertion point is uh the point at maximal tension so uh your hamstring is going to be the longest at hip flexion and knee extension um, also yeah known as that kind of water skiing injury um whereas uh you're kind of protecting the hamstrings with hip extension and knee flexion that's when they are the most lax so uh similar things can be thought of and we'll cover all of these other injuries down the road. So like a a pec major rupture uh, and a biceps rupture, those are all going to be done at more of the extremes of motion when those muscles are most uh, lengthened and and put on the most stretch. Uh, And then when you're suspecting a proximal hamstring avulsion, you can do something uh, similar to the hook test for the bicep uh, in the arm. Uh, and if you're not and if you don't palpate any uh, hamstrings coming off of the ischial tuberosity, then uh, obtaining an MRI uh, is useful and then early repair so that they don't get scarred down uh, to distal and then you have to rely on either allograft or uh, kind of a Z lengthening or some other procedure to get them back up to the uh tuberosity. So early repair is advocated, whether that's open or arthroscopic and uh, an MRI. Um, and then we uh, really for a quick one or two points on the OITE is uh, noticing avulsion fractures I've seen in adolescents and, and other young athletes. Um, what are some of these Evulsion fractures and and where do they come from
0: yeah a classic one that you'll see and i've actually seen it in clinic before but they'll show you an ap of the um ap of the pelvis and, and you can have an avulsion off the anterior superior the x spine or the aces and you just got to remember that the sartorius attaches there so you can get an avulsion from that sartorius because uh, uh that you can uh, is very and you can see in adolescence, Another one is you, if you have an avulsion off the anterior inferior iliac spine, you know that's going to be the rectus femoris that attaches there. Uh, if you have an avulsion off the ischial tuberosity, you know that the hamstrings attach there. And typically, for all these avulsion fractures in adolescence, these are going to be treated with non-weight bearing. Um, so, you know, uh, for especially for these non-displaced fractures, you're treating with a period of non-weight bearing for about a month or four weeks and you follow that up with physical therapy. Now in high level athletes uh, that have displaced, uh, displaced avulsion fractures greater than two centimeters, though, those may be ones that need to uh, undergo uh, operative stabilization or fixation. But, you know, just a quick review, ASIS is gonna be where the sartorius attaches, AIS is going to be the, where the rectus uh, muscle attaches, and the ischial tuberosity is gonna be where the hamstrings attach. Now, what is the mechanism of injury for an ASIS avulsion?
1: Uh, Yes, so the uh, ASIS avulsions, um, like you said, are the sartorius versus the TFL. And uh, the sartorius uh, avulsions um, are most commonly with sprinting, uh, and they occur with hip extension and that forceful contraction into hip flexion. Uh, And the fragment is usually smaller and it's displaced anteriorly, Uh, whereas a TFL avulsion of the ASIS is uh, more commonly going to be due to a twisting sort of uh, mechanism. So think of like swinging a baseball bat, and it will be a larger fragment. And uh, due to the location and nature of pull of the tensor, Uh, the fragment will typically be pulled uh, lateral. And uh, I mean, like you said, a lot of these are treated non-operatively, but what would be uh, one that requires surgical intervention?
0: Yeah. So uh, ones that would require um, surgical intervention, again, those can be, you know, these displaced fractures, uh, you know, ones that are displaced greater than two centimeters, uh, and, and especially in our high-level athlete, you know, if you have a high-level uh, sprinter or football player, um, those may be ones that uh, that may need to go ahead and undergo some operative fixation. And, and since we're, you know, talking about some of these muscles that attach to the aces, uh, as you just mentioned, uh, I guess quickly, what are what what nerves innervate those muscles?
1: Yeah, the uh, so this is going to be the hip plane uh, for the anterior approach. So the sartorius is going to be the femoral nerve and TFL is the superior gluteal nerve. And, um, this is more just being discussed because of the, uh, kind of second and third tier nature of some of these OITE questions where they show you an X-ray of an ASIS avulsion and, um, then all of a sudden they'll, rather than asking you what uh, muscle is involved or anything like that, they're going to assume you know what muscle is involved. And they're going to ask you, well, what's the nerve innervation uh, to the muscle that caused this injury? And so, uh, again, sartorius is the more common one, so it's going to be the femoral nerve. And then TFL is the superior uh, gluteal nerve. Um. Let's see here. I just added a few notes, but uh, I think we kind of beat up the ASIS enough. <laughs> uh, moving down uh, kind of several centimeters in the uh, anterior pelvis or iliac wing um, with the AIIS. What's the uh, muscular attachment there?
0: Yeah, again, so for the AIIS, that is going to, uh guess it's going to be a rectus femoris. So that's when you have. That uh, di- direct um, uh, the direct head of the rectus femoris is going to attach there, and you know that, these occur kind of typically due to forceful contraction of the rectus femoris, and um, and what you know for these AIS uh, avulsions, what's typically the treatment for them?
1: Uh, similar to ASIS, but I think the difference is they are almost exclusively managed non-operatively. I, I looked for, uh, surgical management of AIIS avulsions and there's really not much out there. You can do it. Um, but for 99% of athletes, it's going to be non-operative management crutches and a progressive weight bearing, um, unless they are, extremely symptomatic in the area and you have imaging confirmation of a painful non-union, then maybe you can consider fixing them. But uh, a lot of it is going to be non-operative management, uh, physical therapy and, and return to play on a progressive basis. Um, And uh, yet another kind of classic vignette in these questions, you have a young uh, active soccer player that has uh, kind of exquisite pain when they strike uh, the ball uh, and they have tenderness over their anterior pelvic ring, what's the most likely diagnosis in that athlete? Yes, this can be osteitis
0: pubis or uh, an inflammation of the uh, the pubic symphysis. So again, that that's a pretty pretty classic athlete. But again, they have kind of pain over the that anterior. They may they may just say you know lower abdominal pain or or you know anterior. Uh, pelvic pain but you want to be on the lookout for osteitis pubis now since we're talking about that what are some other things that you want to just make sure that we have on our differential diagnosis for patients that do come uh, kind of with these vague you know lower abdominal maybe some lower hip pains in these athletes
1: yep so uh I mean, you want to obviously rule out any stress fractures of the pelvis because the AP x-rays may be uh, kind of uh, equivocal and uh, can consider an MRI. Uh, you also want to make sure that you're not missing any stress fractures of the femoral neck. You're not missing any uh, avascular necrosis of the femoral heads, any athletic pubalgia or adductor muscle strains. And um, you're really relying first on the AP pelvis for a lot of these symptoms. And for that osteitis pubis, uh, you'll most likely see erosions at the symphysis if the condition is longstanding. But uh, like I said, an MRI of the pelvis that extends into the bilateral proximal femurs can be uh, useful um, if you are more concerned, or if there is uh, uh, increased uh, concern for stress fractures or any oncologic uh, processes that may be going on, because it's one of those that you, and then maybe I'm just more attuned to it now than I'm kind of going into my tumor fellowship here in the next uh, month and a half, but uh, a lot of these tumors are really found in otherwise, I mean, healthy kids or healthy athletes, and um, we still have to be on the lookout for kind of the rare zebras that uh, we don't usually look for in in most patients. Um, But again, uh, similar to kind of everything else we've talked about with these uh, kind of hip and pelvic conditions for these athletes, what's the treatment for this osteitis pubis or the symphyseal inflammation?
0: Again, most of these are going to be conservative management. So it's going to be non-operative management. You'll give them some NSAIDs, you know, rest, activity modifications, and you also have to counsel these patients and let them know that this may take several months to resolve. It's not a thing where you take a couple of, uh, of ibuprofens and in three days, you know, they come back saying they're still having pain. You got to let them know, like, you know, no, this is something that can take a, a while to resolve. So you just kind of had to be consistent with it, and you know, have them come back in a couple months and check on them. Uh, now, we're still talking about a little bit about the hip. So what is a hip pointer and uh, what is the, what's the treatment?
1: Uh, yeah, a hip pointer, I guess, to me, is kind of similar to that kind of burner or stinger in the uh, cervical spine where it's a, usually a secondary to direct trauma over the iliac wing or iliac crest. Um, and it's an iliac crest contusion. You're treating that with ice, compression, uh, pain control, and stretching, uh, similar to just about every other thing that occurs in the athlete. And you want to exhaust all non-operative measures because uh, the more we operate on these athletes, kind of the the less likely they are to return to uh, their level of play. So again, uh, you will most likely never be faulted for choosing uh, physical therapy or activity modification or some other similar wording uh, answer choice uh, in the OITE uh, exam. Um, And then moving on from uh, kind of the bony structures, uh, what are some of the nerve entrapment syndromes around the hip Um, and then uh, kind of go into their uh, treatment protocols?
0: Yeah. So, you know, in general, we think about the ilioinguinal nerve, obturator nerve, the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve of the thigh, as well as the sciatic nerve. So let's kind of break them down. So number one, when we look at the ilioinguinal nerve, uh, you can kind of have have an entrapment syndrome here when you have hypertrophy of the abdominal muscles. So they'll have, you know, kind of this lower abdominal uh, pain that'll be worse uh, with hip hyperextension. Uh, and sometimes, in some cases, uh, a release may uh, may also actually be needed to treat this. Uh, but again, that's going to be due to hyper uh, hypertrophy of the abdominal muscles. Uh, when you look at the obturator nerve, you know, these are going to be the patients that have medial-sided thigh pain. Uh, and these are going to be in athletes that are that have well-developed adductors. So these can be in like skaters or a group of athletes that have well-developed adductors. And again, a treatment for this is usually supportive. And I found out, you know, a good way to think about this is just think about what, like, where is the nerve supplying? And that, in many senses, in many cases, can help you determine what nerve it's being entrapped. So obturator is going to be the medial thigh. Uh, When we think about our lateral femoral cutaneous nerve of the thigh, that could be, you know, considered more anterior thigh. Uh, And then, you know, for this nerve, these patients are also going to complain of hip pain. Uh, their pain may be worse when they are wearing tight belts or they have prolonged hip flexion. And uh, chronically, this can lead to what's called myrialgia parasitica. Um, so how do you treat, you know, this lateral cutaneous nerve uh, thigh entrapment syndrome? One, you can just try a simple thing is to release your compressive devices, you know, take the belt off, uh, avoid, you know, hip flexion, uh, you know, work on postural exercise well you can give some NSAIDs. And the last nerve is going to be the sciatic nerve. Uh, and the most common um, sites of nerve entrapment here are going to be at the ischial tuberosity as well as the piriformis muscle. That's kind of where they, where they talk about piriformis uh, syndrome uh, or, or so-called sciatica, as uh, many patients will come into the clinic and say that they have. And uh, when you're testing this or you're testing for sciatic nerve entrapment syndrome, this is actually tested by placing the leg in the fader position. So that's when you have flexion, adduction, and internal rotation of the hip. And what this does, is it puts the piriformis on stretch, and it can reproduce the symptoms. But also know that this can get f- confused with femoral tabular impingement uh, because you have pain with impingement with that exact same test as well. So again, just broadly, you know, think about where is the nerve supplying uh, where. And then, you know, where are this patient's symptoms? Is it medial thigh, obturator nerve, more anterior thigh, lateral femoral cutaneous nerve, side nerve, maybe posterior, they may have some uh, pain and in the inguinal, maybe like, you know, kind of groin, lower abdominal pain. And uh, what is, uh, I know we talked a little bit earlier about stress fractures, but, you know, this is something that, you know, I don't think we can uh just, you know, skip or not skip, but, you know, something to harp on and make sure that, you know, uh, and and this may be and even somebody in the in the ED that uh, maybe he has a questionable um, femoral neck fracture. But what is the most specific test for detecting a hip stress fracture?
1: The MRI of the uh, of the hips going to be the, the most specific one, not the CT scan that's always uh, accompanied by a consult uh, in the <laughs> EI. Um, yeah. so an MRI and, uh, again, uh, just to kind of reiterate it because there is a difference in the treatment, usually like femoral shaft fracture is a femoral shaft fracture and you kind of treat it with a nail, uh, almost regardless. But, uh, for these femoral neck stress fractures, the tension side more serious can fall into varus can, can develop, uh, coxavarin union or, uh, just progressively fail until they are fractured. So those are the ones you want to be more aggressive with with perk pinning versus a DHS. Um, and there's I don't recall the exact author or uh, date of the publication, but um, for femoral neck stress fractures that progress to true fracture, uh, those athletes, I, I want to say that most of them did not return to their previous level of activity, whereas uh, ones that were treated prior to fracture were able to maintain their level of activity. So there is a, a definitely a treatment benefit for these patients. And then the compression-sided fractures, as long as it's confirmed with that MRI that we were talking about before, um, you are treating those with rest and partial weight-bearing and, and cautious slash progressive return to uh, activity and uh then there's there's also this diagnosis of snapping hip or coxas saltans um what are the two types of it and and uh kind of what's the what, what's the difference between those
0: yeah so when you talk about this so-called uh, snapping hip uh, the main two categories are internal and external and there are also some intraarticular causes as well but for simplicity, terms, we'll talk about internal and external, but just remember there are some intra-articular causes, just like loose bodies, et cetera. So when we talk about external snapping of the hip and their treatment, external snapping, this happens when the iliotibial band catches on the greater tuberosity. So snapping is, uh, is gonna be seen when you have hip adduction and knee extension, and these patients may have that positive OBERS test for, uh, you know, for the iliotibial band. Again, just think about it. When if your your iliotibial band, uh, it, it'll be a little bit tighter when your hip is adducted, and you'll and you'll get this this snapping sensation. And and how you treat this is uh, you treat this with stretching. And strengthening. So, you, of course, with almost every other thing, we try to start off with our non-operative treatment and conservative treatment. But if you know they continue to have symptoms, there are some um, there are some out there that will do an IT band lengthening. They may do a Z-plasty of some sort. Or, uh, there there are numerous techniques. But again, so this external um, snapping hip is going to be when the iliotibial band catches on the greater trochanter, versus when you have the internal snapping hip. Um, This is due to the iliopsoas tendon catching on those bony promises. So maybe catching on the lesser trochanter Um, and and how you diagnose these is um, is when you have the patient started off in the flexed and externally rotated position of the hip and you slowly bring them into extension and you internally rotate the hip and this causes reproduction of their symptoms or that snapping because you're getting that iliopsoas kind of rubbing right over that bony prominence. So again, these patients are started uh, from a flexed hip and externally rotated hip position and you're slowly extending while you're internally rotating the hip and you're checking to see if they have any symptoms or if they report, you know, that, that snapping, um, sensation. And then if you are concerned for this, how you would diagnose this is you would do a, a dynamic ultrasound or a burstogram and this can kind of show you exactly what's going on. And, and similar to external, um, snapping hip, uh, the treatment is going to be conservative at first, and then if that is uh, is not successful, you can actually do uh, some lengthening uh, of that tendon as well. So external is iliotibial band on the greater choke. internal is the iliopsoas tendon on the bony promises. and you also have those intraarticular causes where there may be a loose body or etc. Now uh, we spoke a little bit about some groin slash. Uh, pubic pain in athletes a little bit earlier but what is a what is a sports hernia uh, or you know otherwise known as athletic pubalgia?
1: Athletic pubalgia is uh, kind of a groin pain that's associated with heavy training plus a valsalva secondary to injury of either the abdominal wall musculature or the adductor longus and it's really seen when there's a combination of abdominal hyperextension and thigh hyperabduction. Uh, you can see this in uh, gymnasts because they will just some of their contortions that they get themselves into while doing uh, heavy training, um, they, they put themselves in an abdominal hyperextension and thigh hyperabduction uh, kind of scenario that puts pressure and strain on the abdominal wall musculature and the adductors. And uh, the treatment for this is uh, about six to eight weeks of rest and physical therapy. And if that does not improve their symptoms, um, you can repair or reinforce the anterior abdominal wall if the uh, non-operative treatment uh, is ineffective. But I don't see that being an extremely high yield topic, uh, notably with how to repair these. It's more Uh, like I said before, choosing the choice that says activity, modification, physical therapy, or rest. And uh, we know that there's something called uh, femoral acetabular impingement, but kind of on the uh, separate side of the hip. Uh, What about ischiofemoral impingement?
0: Yeah. So ischiofemoral impingement is kind of exactly what it sounds like. You get uh, impingement between the ischium and the femur, uh, but you know more uh, specifically um, due to contact of the lesser trochanter and the lateral border of the ischium, uh, these patients can have pain with passive extension of the hip as well as a deduction. And again, that's when you have your uh, lesser troch and the lateral border of the ischium are uh, are kind of rubbing against each other or, or, or contacting each other. And what this does is it actually affects the quadratus femoris muscle. So I've seen it in questions where they'll have like a sagittal cut um, of the MRI and they may show fluid in that muscle or they may show, you know, just some uh, inflammatory changes around the lesser trochanter and the ischium. And so you just, you know, that's one of the things where you want to be on the lookout for that they may be kind of pointing you towards ischiofemoral impingement and again, they'll say, you know, once they extend their hip and, and, uh, and AD duct, you know, they'll have some pain. And, uh, one of the things that's also diagnostic for this is going to be a local injection. So if you give a local injection, you know, you with, with some type of anesthetic and their symptoms, um, uh, uh, decrease or go, go away. Uh, that is, you know, one of the ways to diagnose this kind of ischiofermal impingement, uh, syndrome. And, um, And since we're on the hip and we're talking about FAI, you know, one of the big things that we talk about is hip arthroscopy. Thank you all for listening to that episode of the Nail the Ortho podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you go ahead and click that subscribe button and tune back in next week to another episode.